church said? Amen. Amen. Let the Lord reign in us. God bless you. It's good to see you today. And for those little ones that were here, and parents and grandparents that came to celebrate with them today, we rejoice as well. Thank you so much. It's a good audience today. And when we dismissed the kids, half the church went over to be with Janice instead of here with Harley. I don't know what the deal is with that. But uh, she does a great job over there, and we're thankful, and we're, we're blessed by all these, uh, these children we have. Amen? That's a healthy church. It's a healthy, healthy church. I'm so, so thankful, so thankful. And thank you for being with us today. Many, many years ago now, a church ran into a difficult situation, and so the leaders of the congregation uh, decided to address it. There was, a, there was a man among their congregation that would uh, shout a lot. And it seemed as though it was bothering some people, and so the leaders wanted to take control of that, and they just simply went to the minister, the pastor. And they simply told him, and said, you need to go tell this guy he don't need to be shouting in church. He said, man, I'm not telling him. You guys go tell him. That's a good preacher right there. But anyway, so uh, they drive out to the old farm place, and they head out there down this old dirt road, and they, 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 they see him out there and many years ago, and he's out there actually, he's plowing the field with a mule. And he's up close to the fence, and so they pull off the road there, and they get out, and they go over and begin to tell him, say, hey, you know, we got a little problem here. And that problem is you, you're just, uh, you're shouting too much in church, and it's disturbing, and we don't know what that might lead to, and all those type things, so we're just going to ask you to uh, kindly just not do that anymore. To which the farmer quickly stated, he said, you see that beautiful wife over there of mine? Yes, and God gave her to me. He said, you see those beautiful children out there playing in the yard? Yes. God gave them to us. You see that beautiful farmhouse? Yes. God gave that to us. He said, you see all this beautiful land that I'm taking care of here? God blessed us with that. He said, here, hold my mule while I shout. (laughs) Some of you will get that halfway home. You go, oh yeah, man, that's great. I'm kind of like the old preacher that simply said, I don't care how loud you shout and how high you jump, as long as when you land, you're following Jesus. Because that's really what it's all about. Now, over and over again in Scripture, some 300 plus times, nearly one for every day of the year, the word blessed is seen in God's holy word. God truly is in the blessing business. Of course, the greatest blessing is given in our salvation through Jesus Christ the moment we surrender to Him. Can I have an amen? Amen. Long before those little babies that were up here with their parents and whoever were up here with them and the elders praying over them, long before those little babies got here and were born, they were given to their parents as a gift from God. When they were born, however, then we now get to see them and enjoy that blessing together and what a blessing it is. So too it is with us as Christians. We receive the blessing of God's gift when we believe, and then the evidence is revealed and seen and experienced in our spiritual birth, or at least it should be. And just as the blessings of these little ones who were up here this morning will continue to receive from their parents and and grandparents throughout their lives, so too will Christians and should Christians have blessings in our spiritual walk with God as well. 
And even in his word, throughout his word, it continually shows us over and over again that God wants to bless his children. I often wonder why we don't want to receive all of God's blessing. Not ours, not what we think we want, but what God says is yours for the taking. It's available to us. I often wonder how much we actually miss. Last week we continued, or we we were looking at some of those blessings. We're going to continue to do that this week. I want you to look at the scripture there, Proverbs 16, though. And I just want to make a statement on that. And this is a beautiful scripture. It's given this week by someone on line or whoever that sends out those emails or, or text messages. I think maybe, maybe Michelle started this one. But it simply says, he who gives attention to the word will find good. Who likes good? Only a few of you. Who likes good? Only a few more. Who likes good? Can I hear an Amen. amen. That means let it be so. So if we like good, you got to pay attention. Remember, my mom always said, pay attention, son. You might learn something today. So paying attention gets us something good. But watch what it goes on to say. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. If you trust in the Lord, the blessings come. Good comes if you pay attention. So my prayer for all of us today is simply that we pay attention and receive something good and be blessed by the Lord. Amen? Amen and amen. We looked at this in Matthew chapter 5. It's the Beatitudes. We all know them if you've been in church and you've heard them read many times, of course. Perhaps you've read them as well. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And all of those things, those are blessings for you and for me. This is on this side. This is where Jesus comes into the picture and he allows us to see that he wants you and me, his children, to be blessed. Can I have an amen? amen? The question is, do we want that blessing? Do we truly want that blessing? So we looked at the first two last week, just briefly to kind of catch you up, because some of you weren't here. You were in Dallas, about 50 or 60, I think, went down there and it was a great time. And I'm sure you had a great message down there as well. But here's just a recap of the two we talked about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. To me, it's in spiritual bankruptcy in our life is a must. It's a must. You see, you don't become spiritual with the big S without God. Although some think they can by what they do. That was the philosophy of the Pharisees and what they felt that they could do. And Jesus addressed that with them as well. Over in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, everything they do is for show. Everything they do is just for show. They said that they were spiritual, but had not, they had not surrendered totally to the authority of Jesus Christ whatsoever. And therefore, they were full of self and not full of God. If you can't remember this in your life, you're going to have a hard time. You realize, you have to come to realize that you don't run the show. And you've got to understand that God is the one that's in control. You didn't cause the sun to come up this morning, but God ordered it to come up. And it'll go down this afternoon just like He orders it to go down. And you and I can't pretend as though we are in charge of that. So truly, blessed are the poor in spirit. You have to understand your place with God. Do you? The second one we talked about was blessed are those who mourn. To me, this one is, and many would go different routes, but I choose this one. Weeping over your sin will bring you great blessing. Weeping over your sin will bring you great blessing. And so we ask the simple question, when's the last time you repented? Not when you just said, oh, Father, forgive me of all my sins in Jesus' name, amen. But when is the last time? 
Listen, sin is the ugliest, things that, the ugliest thing that a Christian can do in the eyes of God. For the world to sin, it's no shock to God because the world is the world. That's what they do. But for the Christian that claims to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and has realized what He did for them, it should cause us great pain when we sin before God. It should cause us to hurt because what we're doing is hurting the one we say we love the most. Now you're caught up. Let's look at number three. Blessed are the meek. This is important here. I'm going to just simply say it as give it to the Lord or give it all to the Lord. You've probably heard that said many times throughout your life. Lay it at the feet of Jesus and leave it there. This is important for your life to be blessed. Laying your burdens, your things of life that you're, uh, you know, that just seem to come along in your life, lay it at the feet of Jesus and learn to leave it there. It's a surrender, if you will. Meek does not mean weak, although some people have claimed it, that's what it is. They somehow connect the two, and it's not true at all. The simplest meaning of meek, to me, is strength and power that now is under control. It means that I've humbled myself under the will of God. It means that I've taken what I know, but now I know that God is in control, and I allow Him to reign in my life. Lord, reign in me. I use the illustration of a thoroughbred horse. He has all this great power. You see him getting ready for the race. He tenses up and the muscles are all there and the power is all there. But there's something about that thoroughbred. It's bridled. And it's bridled for a reason. It's bridled. And a good thoroughbred horse understands that and gives control over to its trainer, its master. And the Christian has to understand that the power that God gives us, He is the one to control that. He is the one that says now is the time to unleash that power. And we have to know that He is the one in control. So once you discover the poor in spirit thing in life, it's time to come to God and simply say, God, I need you to control my life. Not some of it, but all of it. You see, when you don't allow God to control your life, you know what you're doing? You're actually cheating yourself. You don't like when other people cheat you, do you? Of course not. And all of us can remember someone that has cheated us in life. You need to take a long look in the mirror and a long talk with God and ask yourself the simple question, how much have I cheated myself spiritually? How much have I cheated myself out of the blessings that you have for me God, all because I have not surrendered it all to you. I have not submitted myself under your authority. All authority has been given to Christ. All authority. It's not yours, it's not mine. This is the struggle that we have. It's actually one of the hardest ones that we deal with in our lives, there's no doubt. If you have a hard time dealing with those in authority, telling you what to do, you are going to have a struggle with what God shares with you. And that's why people won't surrender to God many times. There are many things that our world struggles with today. One high on the list is authority. You know it and I know it. Every teacher in this room can testify to that. Every single one of you. 
You know it's the truth. And in that process, though, we struggle with it. It's high on the list. Whether it's the government, whether it's the state or local, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's the school, workplace, or even, yes, within the body of Christ, the church. Christians need to understand that in Romans chapter 13, where authority is, it's from God, and how God is the one that places it all in order. You and I don't get the right to do that. He sets the order. Man has always struggled with someone telling them what to do. But when you become a child of the king, you must remember that you are no longer the king of your life. He is. People struggle with this one again. The reason why they struggle with it is because they like to be in authority. They like to simply say, you don't get a chance to do that. I want to tell you what to do. When you step outside of authority in any of those areas that I mentioned, even in the church, when you step outside of authority, you are sinning against God. And we need to take that seriously in our own personal lives as well. We may not like it, we may have objections and all those things, but there's a line of authority and God puts it in order. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right. Now, here's the question. Do you want what's best for your life? Do you want what's best for your life? Sure you do. Second question, who do you think knows better for what's best for your life, you or God? Pretty quiet. If you haven't surrendered all to God, then what you're saying is, God, I got this one. God, I know what's better for me right here because I'm me. I went to school, I got this education, now I know what I need. Instead of surrendering to God, I have this education because you've blessed me with a mind. You've blessed me with somebody that helped me get through school. Or you've blessed me with this job to be able to get through. Uh, ability to obtain those things, to be able to get this position. But now, God, in this position, I give that to you because without you, I have nothing. I surrender. Show me what it is that I am to be about in my life. Colossians 3, 23 says, whatever you do, what is that? It covers everybody. Nobody's left out. We want to label particulars and put them in a higher ranking, but notice what he says. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Why does he tell us to work at it with all of our heart? Because God is always after your heart. He knows your heart will lead you in all things. But notice what he says there. Work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord. If the Lord were here today and he said, uh, hey Steve, hey Mike, hey Joe, hey Sally, hey Susie, whoever, I got a task for you to do, would you do it? Would you, would you just simply say, I don't know if I want to do that one, Lord. But he says, whatever you do, you do it as though you're doing it for God. Are you doing that when you get up in the morning? Are you doing that in your life? So number three is to surrender all to God and receive the blessings of God that you desire. Hang on to what you think you control and you're going to miss out. You don't have to. 2020 can be your finest year ever or it can be the same old, same old as every year past. It's totally left up to you. Number four, those who, are, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do you really thirst after righteousness? I simply put it this way. If you're hungry for God, you'll get filled up. 
There's not one person that goes before God hungry that doesn't go away filled. Do you know that? He won't leave you off one time when you go to Him. He will allow you to eat at His dining room table anytime you like. Even all those snacks in between. So here's, a, here's a, 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 a challenge for you today. I don't know if you're like me, but I, you know, I don't eat breakfast, and so I eat a little lunch, I eat a pretty good dinner, and then I snack from there until the time I go to bed. Anybody do that? <laughs> Be honest. All right, well, every time you think, boy, I'm just going to go get me that uh, banana pudding out of the refrigerator. That's good stuff, ain't it? Yeah, I like it. A lot. Right? Now, so every time you think, I gotta go get some crackers, man, something to munch on, something salty. And then you gotta have something sweet. And then you get a little sweet, you gotta have something to wash it down with, and you gotta go back to the salty thing because it, right? But every time you get up and you go in there, would you just think about your relationship with God and what you are hungering, hungry for that He wants you to have? God, I'm going to go get this banana pudding. I'm going to go get this crackers. But you know, God, you said in your word, quote a verse. Just grab one. Maybe a verse of the day or a verse of the week. Share it with your family. Oh, before you have potato chips, you, 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 get, you got to say a verse. Just a challenge. It sounds silly. But who knows what the seeds will God plant, God will plant in all of those things. If you hunger and thirst for it, you'll get filled up. The key here is this, I think. Once you get one, two, and three the busted without Him, you mourn over your sin, and you're meek enough to surrender to Him, you have to change, again, your eating habits, or you'll go back to your old ways. In other words, your appetite must change. When you become spiritually filled with God, your appetite has to change from what it used to be. Scripture teaches that over and over again in our lives. Is because we all know, and parents, every one of you know, what your children put in here is what comes out here. And that's their process of thinking from that point on. And the same thing goes for every Christian. The more of you know of God's Word, the more you treasure it in your heart, the more you will speak it out, and the more you speak it out, the blessings will come from that. I'm a firm believer of that. Yes, it takes time, it takes effort, but stay committed to it, and watch the blessings flow in 2020. But notice this, and this is the great thing, because somebody's going to say, well, I don't know if I believe that. No, that's all right. You can be wrong if you want to. You have to come to understand that you now have the power to accomplish what you didn't have before you became a Christian. Do you see that? Some people say, oh, no, 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 it's just the Word. I read the Word, and then I try real hard, and I fail, and then I read the Word, and I try real hard, and I fail, and I read the Word, and I try real hard, and fail. No, God says, I place my Spirit, me, inside of you. And with that, I'm going to allow you to have the power to overcome. Who wants to be an overcomer? Do you want to be able to get over addictions that you've tried and tried and tried and tried? You can claim the power of God in you and be an overcomer. Addictions that come your way, whatever they are, bad language, bad attitudes, anger management. God's the best at it. And He wants to work on yours if that's your problem. 
God is the one that wants to release within us a power, a power that changes everything. Things that you have been working on for years and years and years and said and say, I just can't give that up. I just can't put that bottle down. I just can't give that vocabulary up. I just can't quit looking at those things. I just can't. Listen to me. You have the power to be an overcomer. What you couldn't do seemingly in a lifetime, you can do in an instant with God's power released in you. Oh, it may take you time, but I've seen people delivered instantly as well. And here's the thing, people, not only yourself should be able to notice the changes in your life, people around you should also notice it. You want to find out if you've changed or not, if the power's working within you, ask people that have been around you before you became a Christian and just ask them a simple question. Do you see anything different in me? No, you're still angry all the time. Oh. Well, that's just who I am. I just had you know. Think about that. That's silly, isn't it? But in that, pro- it's kind of like the, um, the guy said, um, yo, I get angry, but I'm, it's over in a minute. You ever hear, hear that? That's an excuse for their anger. I get angry, but I get over it real quick. Well, a tornado only lasts a minute or two, but look at all the damage that it's done. And so in our lives, we have to be able to know that we have the power to overcome the struggles that God says that we can have power over. Give me an amen. Oh, I'm not finished with this one yet. i got to go on. In chapter 12 of Romans, we all know the scripture. It says, do not continue to be like this world. No, transform your thinking. Why is this important? Your mindset is to change. Your mindset has to change or you will only continue in your old way of life. Nothing's changed in your life. You have to have a change of mind. When you have a change of mind, things begin to change in your life. How am I doing? Well, you're doing a lot better. I remember when you used to get mad all the time. When you'd watch news, you'd just blow up. But anymore, you just start, have learned, I just turn that channel and I just move on a little bit. It's progress. Let's speak to the young people. The young people are so, you absorb so much. And I know you might look at me up here when I'm up here preaching and stuff and you pay attention and I'm so thankful for that. We're blessed to, to have our young people. And, and I say that out of respect for you. And I know you may look up here and say, hey, who's that? that old guy's up there just blah, 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 and he doesn't know. That's right. And you know, why I know you, you know why I know that? It's because we were once your age too, and we went blah, blah, blah. But what happens in life, and you'll find yourself, and, and it'll take a while, but perhaps maybe when you're 30 or something, you're going to go, wow, that's amazing. That guy was brilliant. Well, maybe you won't go that far, but, but what I want to tell you here is the world is trying to shape your mind. It's trying its best to shape your mind into their way of thinking. But you need to remember this. Keep in mind, it's nothing new. They did it to your grandma and your grandpa and your mom and your dad. And they're trying their best to do it to you. And if you don't stay in the Word of God, thank you for being here today. Thank you for looking at the Scriptures. And thank you for for praying like you do. It's important. 
forced to impart that to their lives. Amen? And in that process, if, if, you, if you don't stay in this word and get filled up with its truth, the world's truth, which is actually a lie painted as a truth, you'll fall for the oldest trick in the book. And the oldest trick in the book basically is this for me today would be this. That you can do whatever you want to do because the consequences don't matter. Adam and Eve in the garden. That is a lie from Satan. And he's the father of all liars. And there are people perhaps even in this room, I know there are people in this room that can tell you the consequences are real. The pain is real. They're costly. It's hurtful. And it can even be deadly at times. Now, when you look at these two scriptures, you say, well, it's just a repeat. Why would the Bible repeat itself? Well, um, I guess because it's important. And it tells us there in this scripture, and it says, there's always this way that appears right to us. I'm right. I just know that I'm right. This is just right. How do we know that it's right? We know that it's right if it's found in God's Word, because it is the truth, as Aaron mentioned earlier. He is the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through Him. So in this process, he tells us there's a way that you and I might think as men. But if we don't think through God, the end is going to lead somewhere and it's going to lead to a death. And none of us want that. We want life, eternal life. Give me an amen. So if you hunger and thirst for it, God, you'll receive from God. Number five one we'll end with today. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy comes when mercy is given. And I like that. Mercy comes when mercy is given. You see, if God loves me, and I discover that love for me, and I love Him, then I can begin to love you, you that sometimes, to me, are unlovable. Because I've discovered God's love for me. When I was unlovable, he still loved me. Most love mercy given to them, but many re refuse to extend mercy to others. You ever see that? Many people refuse to release the past and they reach out and reach out in love when, when they fail to do that, what they've done is they've put a barrier between you and what God wants to bless you with. You see, when you show mercy blessings come God's promise not a preacher statement when you show mercy blessings come so if you don't show mercy you block the blessing a mother once approached Napoleon they say it's a story that's true I don't know approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son the emperor replied that the young man had committed this certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, she said. I beg for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, he said. Sir, the woman cried out, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. And Napoleon simply said, I will have mercy. And he did on her son. Mercy requires something of us, not only of God. 
I'm thankful for his mercies. Jeff used it in his, or Stan, I think, used it in his prayer. But I love God's mercy, amen? amen? But God expects us to have mercy. You see, mercy requires you to treat people better than they deserve. That's tough. But there's a blessing at the end of that. That's good. But you can't get to the good until you do what God says. You got to pay attention, remember? Watch, mercy drives you to show compassion to people you have good reason to ignore. You ever do something wrong, like at a four-way stop sign, or you kind of go through that yellow red light? And you know what you normally, you know what we normally do? We look the other way. We, we don't want to see what they're saying to us or telling us we're number one. But we just kind of move on. Whoa, we kind of ignore that one, don't we? There's certain things in life we like to ignore, but God says if you don't ignore those, maybe there's a blessing at the end of it. So before you jump to a conclusion about anyone or anything, would you just evaluate it and say, maybe God's got a blessing for me on the other side of this. I'm going to show some mercy. Mercy leads you to care about people's pain even when they, those same people have caused you great pain. That one's tough. Because when you hurt me, buddy, I'm going to hurt you back. And I keep a good record. Anybody else? Huh? Think about it. Mercy requires forgiving those who have wronged you. Mercy that I once thought I could not or just would not give, I now give out of the overflow of God's mercy and understanding God's mercy in my own life. And how beautiful it is. And how much mercy He has given me. How He has blessed me. You are blessed when you learn and activate this principle in your life. Mercy from God is given for you and me to release to others. If you think of it that way, I sometimes do that at camp. I was talking about camp earlier. And uh, I, I sometimes take, uh, you know, $20. And I get $21 bills. And I say, okay, this is your money. And I call a student up or camper up, and I'll give them that money. And I'll say, this is your money. But what I require of you is to give some of it away. It's all I require from you is to give some of it away. It's all yours but I'm asking you to give some of it away. When I would do that in camp, oftentimes the kids would, it, it just really depends. Some kids would just, hmm, here's a dollar, put the rest in their pocket. And yet some others would take all $20, even the dollar that they could keep, because it's all theirs, and they give it away. And everybody that got a dollar was real happy. And the person standing there with no dollar in their hand, they were happy too. Because they were able to bless someone else. God blesses us with things so that we can be blessings to others. And don't ever worry about giving out the last blessing that you have because God will give you more. God does not run out. Give me an amen. All right. Mercy is like breath. It's like breath. You need it to survive. 
We need it to survive, oh Lord. We need it. Let me mention this real quick. Give you a couple scriptures. We'll go home and eat lunch with banana pudding. All right. Mercy and grace, I say, are, I use them together, but mercy and grace are different. But I would simply say they're kissing cousins. Okay? That's kind of a weird term, but whatever. But, but they're kissing cousins to me. How do I explain? The biggest difference between mercy and grace is that grace not only includes kindness and compassion, as mercy does, but grace offers a gift. It offers a gift, in fact, the most precious gift that one can receive. Let me try to explain through Scripture. Paul, the writer here, 1 Timothy, notice what he says. Just listen closely and we'll go. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance on behalf of unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Keep that verse up there. I want you to notice where, where mercy comes from. I want you to know where grace comes from. I want you to know where faith comes from. I want you to know where love come from, comes from. It all comes from God. Can I have an amen? amen? So if God has that, mercy and grace and love and faith, God has that and He says it can be mine, I want it. But I don't want just a little of it. I want it to its fullest extent. I want as much as I can get because I know I'll never get enough of it. So he goes on to say, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, not just attention like the scripture we read earlier. This one here is, it needs to be full, fully accepted. What is that? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen? Now watch this of whom I am the worst. If Paul was the worst, you're looking at the second one in line. Notice what he goes on to say. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe. That's you and me. For those who would believe him and receive eternal life. Let me explain real quick. When you see God's mercy, His kindness and His compassion toward you, Jesus on the cross, dying for your sin, long before we ever got here, any of us, you then are given an opportunity. That's the mercy. Then you are given the opportunity for a gift that grace gets, that grace offers for you and for me. It's a thing called eternal life. Mercy is given to all people for Christ died once and for all. However, when one, only when one receives God's grace, which extends to you and me eternal life, to the one that believes. It's extended to us by our belief that Jesus went to the cross, that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus went to the grave, that Jesus came out of the grave. When we believe that, 
it's extended, God's grace is then extended to us because of our belief, Paul writes. But notice in Titus, he says this, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. His mercy. He saved us through the washing of the rebirth of renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, it's a gift. Justified by grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Do you have eternal life? You should know that. You either do or you don't. But you can have it today if you'll just believe that Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ did all of that just for you. Oh, well, get to the birth, get to the birth. You can't get to the birth until you get to the conception. It's that I believe it. I believe that God did that for me. And because he did that for me and he showed his mercy, I now accept his grace. And yes, I want to experience the new birth. And I want to see the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in my life from this day forward. Because God has been so good to me. If you've never received that, my friend, let us know today. We're going to sing a song in just a minute. You come forward, let us know that. Or maybe you've forgotten about that. You kind of just drifted. Whatever your need is today, we stand ready to help you, to pray with you, to stand in belief with you. Whatever that might be, now is the time that you can come. As together we stand and sing.